you guys took us on then, and you've been faithfully supporting us. And I just want to say thank you. Um, what you saw in the video tonight, you've had a part in. Um, if, if you're involved in the missions program of this church, the people that have been saved, lives that have been changed, you have a part in that. And I want to say thank you for partnering with us to reach Papua New Guinea and Bougainville for Christ. So before I get into a lesson tonight, if there's any questions that you might have um, concerning concerning Bougainville, Papua New Guinea, or something, just uh, like to take some questions at this time and Maybe you'll get to know the field a little bit better, and I can answer some questions that you might have. So, is there any questions that you guys have? Yes, ma'am. Um, so, Bougainville is a province of Papua New Guinea, um, but they are also a province that wants independence from Papua New Guinea. Um, so, if you talk to a Bougainvillean, they'll say we're our own country. Um, but if, but uh, politically, they are part of Papua New Guinea still. So. so the people of Bougainville are interesting because, I, I, like a pastor said, I grew up on, in Papua New Guinea. And Papua New Guinea, um, their culture is very hospitable, very open. Um, like you, if you go and share the gospel with somebody on the side of the road or in, at their house or something, a lot of times they, are, they will sit there, talk to you, and very open, very hospitable. Um, in Bougainville, they're a little more reserved, uh, a little more reserved and a little more skeptical, especially of foreigners. And it goes back to some of the history that they've had in their country. Um, so Bougainville went through a civil war from 1988 to 1998, and it was against the New Guinea government. Um, they were fighting the New Guinea government in, in hopes for independence, but it all revolved around a mine that was in Bougainville, that the New Guinea government was getting all the money from and not giving anything to the Bougainville people. Um, but the mine was owned and operated by um, the Australian, an Australian company. So they, there's a big distrust of foreigners in, in Bougainville. So there's a, there's a, um, a lot of times when, I, when I'm walking around talking to people, the first question I get is, where are you from? And well, I so I tell them that I'm from America, and they um, and they say, "Oh, good, we don't like Australians." That's usually their their reply to that. And then the second thing they ask me is, "What are you doing here?" And when I tell them that I'm a missionary and I'm here telling people about Jesus, a lot of um, that kind of gets that kind of opens up the conversation. But a lot of them are very standoffish, skeptical. Um, and and distrustful of, of foreigners, um, so yeah. So it's a different different dynamic. We in starting the church, like working with my dad, we'd have visitors come and get saved on on like a Sunday morning or something like that. That was that was pretty common. But since going to Bougainville, I've never had a visitor come and get saved. Um, usually they come back several times, at least three times, maybe more. Usually it's about a month before they're they're actually um, asking questions about salvation. So, yes. Yep. They're watching to see what. I, yeah, they're watching to see if I'm saying the same thing every Sunday. If if you know, or am I changing it? They're watching to see if I'm gonna stick around or if I'm gonna leave. Um, you know, coming back after my son's surgery, there was we lost. 
everybody. I mean, when we got back there and we started church again, nobody that was coming came back. And we've got new people that are coming in, but a lot of, I've talked to some of those people that were coming and they were like, well, you left us. And so, and there was nothing I could do. Um, so yeah, there's, it's, it's interesting. And the, um, the people there and the culture is definitely different from where I grew up on mainland Papua New Guinea. So, yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So they speak, um, they speak what's known as a Melanesian pidgin, and they have different tribal dialects, but um, the Bible's been translated into the Melanesian pidgin language, and that's the language that I preach in and do ministry in. So, yep. So I did. I, I grew up learning it, so it was it was a little easier for me learning it as a five-year-old kid. Uh, my wife, when we first went there in 2014, she had to learn it, and it took her took her what a good year to be fluent in it. So, yeah, he's doing good. He's doing good. That's a it's a miracle of God. Just what happened there. So I mean, we just got to Bougainville, just started the church, and. Um, and he was, uh, basically, it started off by him just crying in pain. We didn't know what was going on. But we knew it was serious enough that we needed to get him checked out. So I called some people that I know in Bougainville and said, hey, is there somewhere in Bougainville on this island? Because Bougainville is a separate island from the mainland of Papua New Guinea. And so I, I, I asked people, is there anywhere on Bougainville that I could take my son to get checked out? I need to, I need to check him out. And their immediate answer is, there's nothing here. You need to take him off the island. Um, so we, so like in one day, we went from Bougainville to the capital city of Port Moresby, had him checked out by one private doctor. And that private doctor basically came to the conclusion that he has an infection and he said, here, just give them these antibiotics. And we, we knew it was something more than that. Um, and so we took him to another doctor and had a um, had an, an, uh, had a second opinion. But that second doctor was actually a, a private doctor for a company called um, SOS International. And they, most of their clients in Papua New Guinea deal with the, the mining and the, um, the mining and gas projects that are in Papua New Guinea. So they, they do all the foreign health for, for these big companies. And their office is in this, in this hotel that's kind of a high-end hotel in Moresby. And we had some friends that when we were, you know, okay, we gotta get tickets, where we stay in, this and that. We had some friends that said, hey, we have connections with this hotel. We'll we'll book you a room over there, and and I was like, uh, that you know I can't afford that. And they were like, no no, we get a good deal there. So I, I was like, okay, go ahead. So we ended up staying at that hotel, which gave us access to that clinic. And so we went to that clinic and asked them, hey, you know our sons our sons sick. Can you give us a second opinion? This is what this doctor said but we really would like a second opinion. And it was actually an American doctor, and she was looking at, at, the, at, at my son, and, um, and she uh, f- felt his knee. And, he, and she said, There's, that's where your problem's at. He has an infection in his knee joint. And she said, and basically that conversation went from, okay, he has it in his knee joint. He's going to need surgery. And um, 
and this has a potential to be septic to get into the bloodstream very very fast so she was on the phone with uh, children's hospital in brisbane australia that same day setting up for us to get transferred down there and um and we flew out the next morning it was a saturday and like this you know this i went from middle of nowhere to city now i'm going to australia and my mind is just going crazy and trying to t- you know look after my son and um and i i thought you know hey we'll get there saturday they'll admit him to the hospital and watch him he'll probably have surgery on monday that was that was what i was thinking we got there and within an hour of being there they took him into surgery and i was just like whoa this was more, this was worse than what i thought and it's a good thing i didn't know that probably being in new guinea cuz i would have been panicking over there um but yeah so they took him in they had surgery right away he spent about a month in the hospital in australia and then they told us that <coughs> he was going to need um physical therapy um after the surgery and we need to keep an eye that that infection doesn't come back because i guess those those types of infections um they come back pretty commonly so um they have a high rate of comeback so so we we came here to the states and we were actually here in the states because we thought you know we're going to have to have physical therapy all this stuff came to the states took him to a doctor here and actually um the doctor here uh worked with him a little bit and said he he's not going to need physical therapy um did a lot of blood work infections totally gone and then we went back to new guinea so yeah that whole process was just uh you know in the middle of it i i was really doubting okay god what what in the world's going on here you know i i'm i feel this is what you want me to do and where you want me and then my son almost dies um but you know looking back today looking back today it's i just it, god's hand was all along the way and there you know we couldn't of we couldn't of organized everything that happened in that short amount of time like god did um so god god's faithful no so so they um <clears throat> they tested the um the bacteria to try to figure out like where it came from and stuff new guinea has tons of bacteria bacterial infections are very common there um but yeah they could never pinpoint like this is how it got in its body this is how it got there but they just basically said it he got bacteria in his body and it just kind of went straight to his knee and when it's in the knee it you can't just take antibiotics and get it out it has to be surgically uh removed out of there so so yeah it's so but he's doing great now he is so when that happened he was about 1 and 1/2 and now he's 4 years old So yep, he's he's in cubbies I think right now, <laughs> probably running around. Maybe so you, maybe talk to him about like uh the tribe thing that we were talking about at dinner. Just kind of explain the culture and the mindset of the Bougainville people where you're at. Yeah, so so where we're at, they're very tribal. Um we're in a town and there's several different tribes that are around the town. um but there it's very tribal thinking and and as far as tribal culture and tribal thinking is it's very um <clears throat> it's it's very much um everything belongs to the tribe so like in the in the land situation that we we dealt with 
um, we were trying to get we were trying to get land, and we there's one person that claims the land is theirs. It was handed down by their dad, by their dad, you know, by their great grandfather, grandfather, dad, and so there's that lineage that this is my land, but that person does not own that land. They claim that land, but they do not own that land. The tribe owns the land. So in order to get a piece of property, you have to have everybody in the tribe agree that, okay, yes, we're going to sell this to them. And so I you know, went around and tried to find out, you know, everybody talked to the people that needed to agree for us to get this land, and everybody seemed okay with it. And then we go to purchase it. We took over a year to raise money. And then we go to purchase it, and we find out that there's this uncle that doesn't want to sell it. So therefore, I can't, I can't have it. It's done. Not because that's his land, but because they look at the land as, as everybody's. The same thing goes with children. Um, children are not, it's not your kid. It's the tribe's kid. Um, and so the tribe raises your kid. The t- tribe tells you what you're going to do with your kid. Um, so, and then also if, if somebody in the tribe, somebody in the tribe gets ambitious and wants to, um, start a business or gets ambitious and wants to grow more in their garden so that they can sell it and, and do better for themselves, um, the people in the tribe, a lot of times they'll come to them and they'll say, oh, you, you have more of this than I do, so I want this. And according to their culture, if somebody in your tribe wants something that you have, you you need to give it to them. It's you, you you can't say no to them. So if they come over to your house and you have a an extra towel that they want, um, they'll you know they'll just I'm going to take this. And basically, you're as as the tribe, you're supposed to say, okay, you know that's fine. I have two of them, so you can have one of them. Um, so it really squashes a lot of ambition and a lot of, um, you know, desire to do something because, because if, if they do, if they do better themselves, then the people that aren't doing anything come and take what they, what they better themselves for. And so the people that, um, yeah, so it's an interesting dynamic and in, in trying to tr- teach something like stewardship or trying to teach something like work ethic, um, which I believe are Bible principles that God wants us to have. But the tribal culture kind of cr- contradicts those, those principles. And then the same thing with teaching the family and teaching that, you know, uh, um, mom and dad and take care of your kids and it's your responsibility to to um, to look after your kids, to feed your kids, to get the, send them to school. To them, the responsibility to feed them and send them to school is the tribes. So they'll sit there and their kid won't have an education and they'll blame the tribe. Well, the tribe's not paying for my kid to go to school, so I guess my kid can't go to school. So, and that's that's their mentality. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting, and it's um, and but it's it's neat to see how the gospel changes some of that thinking, and how um, as they as they get to know the word of God, they realize that wow, you know, God wants me to look at my situation, and God wants me to help wants to help me in my situation, and other people are reaping and sowing what they do and God and I'm reaping and sowing what I'm doing 
and so I can't, you know, blame everybody else for my problems. Um, so yeah, it's an it's an interesting dynamic, and some of it, unfortunately, sounds similar to some of the ideas that go on in America today. So, um, yeah. No, so cannibalism was a part of their culture, um, major part of their culture back back several years ago. But um, right now in New Guinea, there's no more cannibalism. So yeah, and if you if you ask them about that, they're very like, oh, don't don't talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very very ashamed of that history in there. But they know that they will tell you that yeah, we did that. But they but they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, but it, but it's only it's only about two or three generations removed. So, yeah, yeah. It's so so. There's people that are like, that are um, grandparents right now that will talk about their grandpa that uh, that that ate human flesh. So yeah. No, no. Don't use grandma's cookbook. <laughs> yeah. They use currency, um, so the, there's some some of their money on our back table, but they they mostly use currency. As far like in within the tribe, they kind of they do you know I'll give you this if you give me this. They barter a little bit, but uh, mostly the, a lot of them today they like cash. So yeah. So thirty-five thousand people on the entire island. No, on the area that we're in, in the surrounding villages in Booing Town. So on the right. Would there be a single market? Would there be multiple markets? Right, right. So Booing Town would be the main market, and actually Booing Town serves more than just those thirty thousand. Oh, wow. Booing Town because it's the um, what would be the, the capital of South Bougainville. So Bougainville's broken up into North, Central, South. And Booing would be the capital of South Bougainville, and so it's the main um, kind of the main hub. So we have we have we have market every day, but the main days are Thursday and Saturday. And Thursday and Saturday, we Booing Town goes from having about thirty-five thousand people coming and going to having about a hundred thousand people, or probably less than a hundred, probably more. More like seventy thousand going and coming. Is that open uh, yeah. Uh, so there are some stores that do have like fridges and different stuff. Um, so there are little stores that will, um, but all the stores in our town, you don't walk into them and walk down the aisles. You walk up to a counter. Everything's behind the counter, and you have to you say, "Oh, I want that over there. I want that over there." And a lot of the people that come. They um, they have a hard they're they're not very a lot of them are uh, are uneducated so they'll come to that store with with some money and say like a twenty dollar bill and they'll say I want to buy I want to buy that and they'll give their twenty dollar bill to the clerk he'll give them their change they'll take their change and then they'll say I, I want to buy that and basically they'll just keep doing that until their money's gone um, so they can't like count you know how much added up so so you can go to the store and stand there for a long time waiting on people you know oh i'm buying that okay now i'm buying this and um so so yeah yep so when it comes to like daily sustenance uh i mean you know when i was when i was down in nicaragua it's pretty much
identify what you're going to eat because you can't eat right. any more than you're going to eat that day. What yeah. That, what does that look like there? It's, there's only margarine, there's no salad. Yeah, so it's the same, it's the same in Bougainville. Um, so the, the markets on Thursday and Saturday are bigger markets, kind of knowing that a lot of people are coming in, selling their cocoa in town, want to buy stuff and leave. But then there's smaller markets throughout the week um, that you can go and buy buy stuff. And usually a lot of times they're just alongside the road, like um, certain main roads. They'll just get on the, find a, clear out a space on the side of the road and, and set up a market. You know, I have... I'm going to sell this these uh, garden vegetables. What so, would be like, what percentage of those people were you were you with that area, that 35 pounds? Is there is there a percentage of people that basically grow and raise what they're going to eat on their own, or are they you know are they above a percentage at all, half? Um, I would say half and half. So a lot of them they'll grow cocoa. That's the main thing that they'll sell. So uh, they'll grow cocoa. And that's only the cocoa uh, producing time is uh, is once a year. Normally, sometimes if the crop is really good, they'll get two, two pickings out of it. And so when they pick that, they basically get a lump sum of money for selling that, and then they'll spend it all, and then they'll live off their gardens until their cocoa's ready again. So um, the so that's kind of how they exist. So when when they have the the cocoa money, they'll buy a lot more from the store. So they'll be eating a lot more rice and a lot more frozen meats and a lot more that kind of stuff. And then when their money's gone, then they go back to their garden and they eat a lot of bananas and sweet potatoes and uh, different types of greens and, and all kinds of fruits. So that's kind of how they, how they do it. So their diet will switch. If they have money to buy stuff, then they do. And then if not, the garden's always there. So that's kind of their attitude towards that. So when I don't have money, the garden's there. So that's that's how they that's how they do it. So what's that? Uh, so they uh, they export their cocoa. Um, I, I, so they um, I'm not really sure. So they sell their cocoa, and then there's there's companies that export it, and they export it all over the world. Their, their cocoa goes to Europe. Some of it goes to here. And I was talking to one of the one of the buyers, and he was shipping containers to New Jersey. So um, so they export it all over the world. But cocoa cocoa's their main export off of Bougainville, off of New Guinea as a whole. Coffee's their main export, um, and then they also export timber. And they also export um, gold and natural gas. Um, so New Guinea as a whole is a very rich country. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of that money goes to corrupt politicians. So, yep. So what other uh, religion, I guess, mm-hmm. like the witch doctor or yeah. Catholicism, what, yeah. what else do you so yeah, so on the island of Bougainville, I'll, I'll talk more about the island of Bougainville in this. So on the island of Bougainville, their traditional, um, their traditional religion or their their tribal beliefs would be um, a lot of spiritism, and um, so they they would. Um, it no, it's it it 
has a little bit of ancestry in it because they they believe that you know when somebody dies, if they'll have they'll have what they call a house cry, which is a time of mourning, and usually it'll stretch out a week. And when they're during that time of mourning, you better get everything right with that dead body um, before they put him in the ground. Because if you don't, once he's in the ground, he's going to come back and haunt you and do different things to your family or to your garden or to your crop. So there's a, there's a, but they don't like worship their ancestors, but they believe that they come back as spirits and they affect parts of their life for usually the bad. So if you're good to them, then they'll just leave you alone. Um, but if you're if you did something wrong to them, then they're gonna come back and get you. Um, so they have a lot of that, and then they they do have witch doctors that um, that do that practice medicine medicine type stuff, and um, but also um, say that they can cast spells on people and kill people and stuff. But there's not a lot of that is a lot of that is hidden and they don't talk about it um, like if you if you go into a village and you say does this village have a witch doctor they'll say they'll say yeah it's that guy over there or yeah he lives over there uh, he lives by the usually he lives by the cemetery and um, they'll they can point him out but as far as talking about it like oh did he cast a spell on somebody or did he you know did he do some kind of voodoo on somebody that's like don't talk about that. We don't talk about them because we don't want them coming after us, type thing. So, so it's there but not there. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of very hush hush. They don't want to talk about it, but it is there. But then, on top of all that, so they have that, and that's kind of culturally where they're at. And then, on top of all that, they, they, uh, the island of Bougainville is predominantly Catholic, and the other religion on the island is Seven Day Adventist. Um, so Seventh-day Adventist and Catholic are the two main religions on the island. And so when the Catholic Church came in, they basically mixed a lot of that, um, you know, scared of the ancestor type stuff into the Catholic Church. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, and basically scared them to give more money to the Catholic Church. We had a Catholic guy, um, a, a strong Catholic. A lot of them claimed to be Catholic because they were baptized Catholic. Um, but they don't really care about the Catholic Church. But we had one guy that's strong Catholic, um, a drunk in town, but he just really holds to the Catholic Church. And he came, got saved, and he he was threatened by the Catholic Church that if you keep going to that Baptist Church, if you get baptized or become a member there, that that you will um, you'll go to hell and then they threatened them about some family members that had just passed away that you'll keep them in purgatory, basically. Um, so he stopped coming, and when I asked him, you know, what's going on, he's like, no, the Catholic Church, you know, it's too too big, and I can't, I can't do anything, you know. And I, so, yeah, he was just, he was just like, felt like he was, I'm just stuck. This is how it is. And, and I, you know, I, I talked to him about, the truth of the word of God and how that you know that's that's not true. That's that's something that they've created and and it just he was so scared that uh, and and so so they have a huge influence on people's lives and one of one of the things that I I believe with the land situation that uncle is actually um, strong Catholic as well. So I think that had that played into it as well. So so yeah so so.
yeah, uh, that's kind of what we face, and um, and it's it's interesting mm-hmm. because I was told when I first went to Bougainville by one of the one of the men in Bougainville that Bougainvilleans are looking for the truth. Um, they're and because they've seen a lot of hypocrisy within the Catholic Church and the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Seventh-day Adventist Church, <coughs> they're very pharisaical, but they're very corrupt within their uh, hierarchy, so their headquarters. Um, they get a lot of money from the government, and it goes into pockets that nobody knows about, so they're very corrupt in, in that. And then <coughs> during the during the crisis, during the, the Civil War that happened, they refer to it as a crisis a lot, there was the Catholic Church kind of used that to their advantage and the and to so there was a Baptist pastor that actually got murdered during that civil war because the Catholic Church told the rebel army, Hey, we need you to take care of this guy for us and he was murdered. And that's a well known story in Bougainville that yeah, yeah, they did that. Um, so there's so there's that and that built distrust, you know, like I told you that they don't trust foreigners. Well, a lot of Bougainvillians don't trust religion either. Um, so they don't trust the Catholic Church, even though they're scared of the Catholic Church because of they, you know, they grew up as little kids hearing all this stuff, and you know, don't don't lose, don't leave the mama church, or this is going to happen to you. And um, so they're scared of them, but they don't trust them. So a lot of them don't don't go to church. They don't care about church. So definitely a wide open mission field um, that need the gospel. And so with, with just the uh, briefly tonight, in the time that we have left, I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter number 10. Romans chapter number 10, and I'm going to read verse number 13 through 15. Romans chapter number 10, verses 13 through 15. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Let's pray and we'll get into this lesson today. Dear God, I I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord God. for this time together, and I just I hope that these questions and answers help help the people here to know more about uh, about Bougainville and what's going on there, and how they they can better pray for us. Lord God, I pray that in this time we have left, that you'll just help me to communicate clearly what you'd want me to communicate. And Lord God, help us to realize that we live in a world that desperately needs the gospel. And Lord God, help us to be faithful in sharing the gospel with others. I pray that you'll just uh, bless this time in your word, and we give you all the praise and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we'd all agree today that in the world around us, that uh, this world's in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when when we think of people hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the idea of missions and the idea of what, what the Bible tells us and uh, in like Mark 6, 15, uh, 16, 15, going into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's, there's, a, there's um, 
in order for people to hear the gospel, verse number 14 tells us that the gospel has to be preached. The gospel needs a preacher. And and I just, in the introduction this evening, I want us to go back to that time that we got saved. Could you think about that time that you got saved and who was that preacher in your life? Who 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 helped you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Who shared the gospel with you? When I think of my life and, and my personal testimony, um, I was, I w- uh, um, so we were traveling on deputation. My dad was getting ready to go to New Guinea for the very first time. And, it, and we came back to our sending church in Medford, Oregon. It was Easter Sunday. And we, uh, at the church, they had a drama presentation Saturday night. And then um, the pastor there at the time, Pastor Bob Gass, preached a gospel message, just a simple gospel message following that drama presentation. And as a five-year-old boy sitting in that auditorium, for the very first time, it wasn't just a story about Jesus that I heard probably a hundred times. But it was something that I realized, wow, Jesus died and rose again for me. It was because of me that he shed his blood on that cross. He loved me that much. And just in a very simple way, as a five-year-old boy, I realized that I needed to get saved. And I turned to my mom and I, and, and during the invitation, I said, Mom, I need to get saved. And my mom... Um, took her Bible and took me through the Romans road and made sure that I, 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 I was understanding what I was, what, what I was doing and, and, um, and answered any questions that I had. And, and that, that Saturday night, um, in April 10th, 1993, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. I just think back in my life those people that put so much time into that drama presentation, the pastor that got up and just preached a simple gospel message that that just really came home to that little boy sitting in the pew. And then my mom taking the time to take me through the Word of God. All those people were used in my life as preachers of the gospel. I just think, where would I be today if if maybe that drama team thought, well, this is too much work to do this. Where would I be today if that pastor thought, you know, well, probably everybody here has heard this a hundred times. Where would I be today if, if those people didn't do what God wanted them to do that night? Where would you be today if the person that shared the gospel with you decided, well, I don't think they really want it. I don't think they'll listen to me. Where would you be today? From our text, just I'm not going to take long, but from our text, I'd like to see three three truths that can help all of us be that preacher in other in other people's lives. And the first thing I want to see in verse number thirteen is that the gospel is simple. The gospel is simple. The Bible tells us in verse thirteen, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." I remember as a teenager, I had a fear about sharing the gospel with people. And that fear, fear was wrapped around this idea. I don't know enough to share the gospel. I don't, 
uh, what if what if they have questions or what if what if they start talking about this or that i i i can't share the gospel because because the gospel is too complicated that that was my thinking as a, as a teenager and it, and I, and i know that god wanted me to share the gospel with some people that i didn't share the gospel with because i thought the gospel was too complicated but the truth is that was a lie that satan was telling me the truth is the truth is that the gospel is simple the gospel is simple in in, in our text today for the gospel is simple because the gospel is for everyone you know one thing i love about the gospel you can't tell the wrong person I, I go to Bougainville, and I don't know them at all, but I know this, they need the gospel. And as I, as I talk to people in Bougainville, I know that I can't share the gospel with the wrong person. Does that mean everybody's going to listen to it? No, but everybody needs it. And I can't share the gospel with the wrong person. God loved the whole world, and he died for the whole world. But the second thing that we see that the go- makes the gospel simple is that the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus. I find that in, in, in sharing the gospel with people, a lot of times they'll like to, I'll, I'll start talking about Jesus and how Jesus loves them and how, um, how Jesus wants to save them and what Jesus did on Calvary. And, and they start say, talking about, well, I went to this church one time here and they talked about this and i read this book one time and <coughs> you know it's important to sometimes let people talk and um and 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 help them help them where they're at but i found this a lot of times i need to bring them back to jesus a lot of times they're they're going somewhere else and where they're going is not going to help them and what they really need is jesus um, I, I always think of the, the example in Scripture where Philip was told to go to the man from Ethiopia. And he went to the man from Ethiopia and he approached the carriage and, and the man from Ethiopia said, uh, was reading the book of Isaiah and said, how, how can I know this unless somebody tell me about it? And so Philip got up in the carriage with him and the Bible tells us this in Acts 8 and verse number 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. You see, Philip didn't get up there and try to explain the whole book of Isaiah to him. He got up there and said, you know what this is talking about? You know what you need in your life right now? You need Jesus. The gospel is simple. Don't overcomplicate it. It's all about Jesus. But the second truth tonight that we can see from the word of God here is that not only is the gospel simple, but the gospel has a need. The gospel has a need. When I talk about the gospel having a need, it's not that it needs us to do something to gain salvation. It's not that Jesus didn't do enough in in his work on the cross and his death, burial, and resurrection. So I need to get more grace like some religions would teach. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not the need of the gospel. I, I praise God that when Jesus, when, when Jesus went to Calvary and his blood was shed, it is, he paid it all. There's nothing I need to do to, to help the, the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
Bible says I just need to believe it, accept it. So the gospel and having a need, it's not that the need of the gospel is that we need to add something to salvation. But the need of the gospel is that the gospel needs a preacher. There's Jesus. Jesus did everything that needed to be done to take people from death to life, from hell to eternity in heaven. But he simply needs somebody to share that truth with the with the world around us. Now, the word preacher, we normally use that word for maybe somebody that stands behind a podium and preaches the word of God. That's usually what we refer to a preacher as. And that would be a right term, but not the only term. You see, the word preacher simply means someone who heralds or proclaims with authority. And just as much as God wants me to be a preacher, and just as much as God wants your pastor to be a preacher, I believe this with all my heart that God wants you to be a preacher as well. That as a Christian, we are called to be the light of the world, to be fishers of men. As a Christian, God wants us to be a preacher too. God wants us to be that person that will share the gospel with those around us. The people at my church in Bougainville, not my church, God's church, but the, the people there that in Bougainville, a lot of them are new Christians. And, and a lot of them, when I, I, I went through a series trying to teach them how to, how to, how to uh, share the gospel with others. And as I taught them this series, I, I, I could see that they were a little overwhelmed with the idea of sharing the Romans road with somebody or just, you know, just the whole idea of sharing, uh, sharing the gospel with somebody, taking somebody to verses in the Bible. I could, I could just see in their eyes that they're like, you know, whoa. And, and I kind of just stopped and I said, you know what? I want to challenge you guys to do two things in sharing the gospel. Number one, I want you to tell your family what Jesus did in your heart. You don't have to use any scripture. Just tell your family how Jesus changed you. And then the second thing I'm going to ask you to do is ask somebody to come to church with you. Just say, hey, would you come to church with me? You don't, you don't have to open your Bible and share a bunch of things. You just have to say, hey, would you come to church with me? And I said this, I promise you this. If you bring somebody to church, I'll preach the gospel to them. And I could just see like a relief on their face. Not, not that they didn't want to share the gospel, but just the idea of opening their Bible with somebody when they're still trying to figure out where's Matthew, where's Mark, where's, you know, they're still trying to figure out where everything is in the Bible as new baby Christians. And... And when I and I challenge them, this is how you can share the gospel where you're at right now. I don't know where you're at in your Christian life, but there's something that you can do to share the gospel with those around you, I guarantee you. And God wants us to be preachers of the gospel. The gospel has a need. The gospel is not going to reach Morgan Hill by itself. 
The gospel is not going to reach Morgan Hill just with your pastor sharing the gospel. The gospel needs preachers, and Jesus, Jesus wants all of us to be preachers of the gospel. Jesus told us in John 20, verse number 21, Even as the Father sent me, so send I you. I want you to go and do this. If you're going to be my disciples, if you're going to be my followers, this is what you need to do because Christ has changed our life. We need to help. We need to share that so Christ can change other people's lives as well. So as we, as we share the gospel, remember that the gospel is simple. Um, it's all about Jesus. Remember that the gospel needs a preacher, needs you, needs me to be that faithful witness. But thirdly, and lastly tonight, the gospel is powerful. Have you ever thought when you think about sharing the gospel with somebody, is this really going to make a difference in their life? Have you ever thought that? I have. I'll admit it. I, I've, I've talked to some people that I, that to human speaking, man, they're a lost cause. Man, I don't know if this is really going to help. I've thought that. And I was wrong in my thinking. Because the reality is this, that the gospel is powerful. And two, two points that verse, <clears throat> I lost my place here, but two, two, two points that verse number 15 points out is that the gospel brings peace and the gospel brings hope. The gospel brings peace and the gospel brings hope. The, the last line in our in a verse number 15 that talks about the glad tidings is used in the, uh, the New Testament in t- talking about the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, that hope we have in Jesus Christ, that hope we have in eternity. I'm going to share with you a, an example, uh, a story, and then, and then I'll be done. When, when we started the church in Bougainville, and there was this lady that came to church one Sunday. Her name is Hagar. She came to church, and she I could tell that she was moved by the message. But when I when I gave the invitation, she didn't she didn't raise her hand. She didn't look up at me. She was she was just very still. So after church, I I went to her and I talked to her and told, you know said thank you for coming and and she began to tell me how that how that she she's very religious she began to tell me that i i i grew up in this church and then i went to this church and now i'm meeting at a bible study with this church and she said one thing one thing that i that i'm just searching for is peace and hope i just i can't find it the church that that all my family goes to and i was in that church for many years and i just I didn't have peace. I didn't know that if I died that I would go to heaven or hell. And I figured a church should be able to tell me that. And so I went to another church and this church told me to do this. And she actually went to the Seventh-day Adventist church. And she said, I I followed all the laws and I did everything that they told me to do. But I still had no peace in my heart. And now I'm meeting with this other group. and, And she began to explain to me that she just wants peace. I told her that, and I, that day I shared the gospel with her, and I told her that this is this will bring peace to your life. That Jesus is the only thing that will bring peace, true peace, to your life. 
she left that day saying, you know, well, I'll, I'll think about it. She came back to services again, and the second time she came back, I gave her the little book done. She, um, so if, if they go through high school, they'll, they know English and they read English. And she's been through high school, so I gave her that book done, and I said, read this, and, and we'll talk about it. And she was, oh, okay, you know, very skeptical, very, very searching, but not willing to accept what was preached, what was, what was uh, presented to her. So she came back on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night usually is a small Bible study that we do, and we usually don't get visitors on Wednesday night. And she came back on Wednesday night because she knew we were having a Bible study that night. And she came back, and she, she, came back and she was holding that book. And she said, I, I read this book. And I said the prayer at the end of this book. And I said, you can't do that. I was supposed to lead you to the Lord. Uh, no, but she said, she said, I said the prayer at the end of this book. And I have peace like I've never had before in my life. Oh, if we would just remember the peace that came into our life the day we got saved. And, and realize that there's a world around us that needs that peace and that needs that hope. And as we're challenged to share the gospel with others, let us not, let us not think that, oh, will this really matter? Will, will this really change their life? Let us remember how God changed our life and realize that God wants to do the same thing in other people's lives too. Where would you be today without that preacher in your life? As we close tonight, who in your family, at your work, in your community, does God want you to be a preacher to? Does God want you to be that preacher to? Now listen, don't go to work tomorrow, grab your Bible and stand up and yell at people. Because the reality is you're not going to see people saved by doing that. But I believe this with all my heart. If you're tender towards the Holy Spirit, if you ask God, God, I know my friend doesn't know Jesus. Would you help me to say the right words? Would you help me to, in the right moment, bring up the right conversation? I believe that God will work through you to be that preacher of the gospel. And when Satan starts telling you, well, you don't have all the answers, realize that the gospel's simple. You just need to tell him about Jesus. And when, when Satan tells you that, well, he doesn't need you to come to Jesus, remember that the gospel has a need and it needs a preacher. And when you think that, well, I don't know if this will really make a difference in his life, remember that the gospel is powerful. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord God, that... Thank you for entrusting us with the gospel. What a privilege it is to share the gospel with others. To be able to have our lives change with the gospel and then be able to share that gospel to see somebody else's life change too. God, help us to be faithful witnesses of the gospel. Help us to be that preacher that you want us to be, dear God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, Brother Kenny. I, uh, I, I'm so convicted by the